Bibles out with me tonight, and I think I changed, yes I did, I changed the scripture, uh, so we're not going to read from Second Peter, we're going to start out reading from Second Timothy chapter 2, so if you want to load up Second Timothy chapter 2, and uh, if you would stand with me please, Second Timothy chapter 2, I'll begin reading at verse 1 and we'll read through to verse number 7, Second Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him, to be a soldier. It's important for us to realize uh, right here that when we're in war, when you're at war, you, you don't have time to worry about all of the things of life. I think about Brother Eric. Brother Eric in, in Afghanistan tonight has to pay attention to his surroundings. He has, he has to focus on what he's doing. And, and if he concerns himself too much with other things, then Brother Eric will be in great peril. And you and I, as, as believers, we're not to entangle ourselves with the things of this world, but we're to keep our hearts and minds focused on Christ. Now, let's continue. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Let's pray. Our Father... Thank you for this church and the opportunity we have to be here tonight to to worship you and to praise you and to study your word. Thank you for our pastor and the compassion that he has for his church and his people and the love he has for you. I pray you bless him and and be with him as he's away. Give him a a, a time of refreshing and and, and encourage him anew and give him him a, a, a new vision to to return and, and to, to just impart to us all those things that you have, have taught him in the last week. And then, Lord, just thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the blessing of salvation that we have, the eternal life we share because of his great sacrifice. And now I ask tonight, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would illuminate us, that you would cause us to understand the truth of God's word. Thank you for all these things, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'll begin tonight with a little review of last Wednesday evening. Last Wednesday evening, um, talking about spiritual strength, I I told you we were going to look at three different things that we we need to do in order to be strong Christians. First one I said last week was to focus on our commitment. And it's important that you and I, as God's children, focus on, on the commitments that, that are important. Uh, all of us commit to things. As I said last week, we commit to different things. Uh, so let us make commitments to, to, to the spiritual things that need to be addressed. I said we should, uh, of course, make a commitment to God. And we talked about last week how no one, should, no one or no thing should uh, come before God in our lives. I said that we should make a commitment to our family and uh, talked about some things there. About, uh, to, I talked to our men about things that you and I 
as men have responsibility to our family to provide for their needs and to instruct them from God's word and to love them and, and to nurture them. Uh, and then we, we, we talked about um, our commitment to our church and, and, and made three, three observations there, that we should support our church with our time, we should support our church with our talent, and we should support our church with our treasure. So tonight I'd like to continue this study into, the, uh, the, into spiritual strength by saying secondly tonight, number two, we should fulfill our calling. Not only should we focus on our commitments, but number two, we should fulfill our calling. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. You're in 2 Timothy. It's just a, just a few pages toward the back of the Bible. You'll find 2 Peter. And uh, we're going to go to verse number 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and then for time's sake, I'm going to skip on over to verse 8, and we'll read verses 8 through 10. So beginning at verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Now let's skip over to verse number 8, and we'll read from here. For if these things, now these things are the things that he he named uh, prior to verse 8, for if these things be in you and abound, that they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Now, in this passage of Scripture, twice Peter emphasizes our call uh, unto salvation by the Lord, our call unto election. Each of us here tonight has been called by God. We are all called unto eternal life. This is the inward call of grace by the sovereign will of God. This is something we all have common. I was called unto unto salvation, and so were you. We were called by God the Father. Our salvation tonight was not one of chance occurrence. Despite what many have, 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 have spoken and polluted doctrines of, of our forefathers, our glorious Savior did not sacrifice his life on Calvary for the mere chance that some men would believe. I've, I've actually heard some preachers say that, that, that Jesus died so that someone might be saved. Well, in John chapter 10, in verses 11 through 16, Jesus himself answers this. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not 
for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now you notice here, he says he lay down, he lays down his life for his sheep, but in verse 14, he says he knows his sheep. So he knew who he was dying for, amen? And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, and this of course is talking about the Gentile nations, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Listen, Jesus did not die to give me a chance to be saved. I, I, I read an, an excerpt from a book written in which the author of this book said, God has now done all that he can possibly do for you. The rest is up to you. Now, my dear friends, if that is true, then that means Jesus' death on the cross was not complete for my salvation. If that is true, then that means Jesus' death only facilitates my salvation, but that it's up to me. And what that literally does is put salvation in my hands and not in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not an argument over who's right or wrong. This is an argument over truth. And the truth is that Jesus died for the elect. He died specifically. He didn't die to give me a chance to be saved. He died to secure my salvation. In John 6, verses 37 through 39, we read, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. So not one person, not one person for whom Jesus died will be lost. Every man that Jesus intended to save shall be saved. We can take comfort in that tonight. Hallelujah. I don't know why. I mean, I can't possibly see any good in me that God would save me. And he didn't save me because he saw any good in me. He saved me because it was in his will and according to his good pleasure. But what about this call? What about this call tonight unto salvation? I'd like to make three observations about our call unto eternal life. First, letter A on your sheets is this. Our call was according to God's plan. It wasn't according to the will of man. It wasn't according to the will of flesh. It was according to the will of God. It was according to God's plan. Now in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes in the first five verses, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, 
reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow, what a verse. That says it all, doesn't it? Just look at what Peter has said. He said, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, foreknowledge, follow me for a moment. This is going to be like an English lesson. I can't get the teacher out of me, I'm sorry. Foreknowledge implies forethought. And forethought requires planning. In fact, the word foreknowledge denotes premeditation. And the definition of premeditation is planning in advance of acting. It is the act of meditating beforehand. It is previous deliberation. So obviously, tonight we can attest to the truth, according to the words of Peter, that our salvation was God's plan. The election of the saints was the plan of God from the beginning of time. In Romans 8, verses 29 and 30, Paul writes, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Oh yes, God had and has a definite plan in our salvation. Not one precious blood of Jesus Christ was shed in vain. It will redeem all that God planned to redeem. Not one less and not one more. So without a doubt, we can state tonight that our calling, our salvation was according to God's plan. Let us rest on that truth. And from this moment forward, Let us glorify God and give glory to the Father for His sovereign grace, which is shed upon you and I tonight so freely and so undeservedly. Let us glorify His name. Let us praise Him for the great gift of His salvation. But not only was our calling according to God's plan, but secondly, it was unto God's purpose. In Romans 8.28, we read, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, doesn't it make sense tonight that if God planned to call us, then he must have had a purpose in doing so? I mean, I try as much as I possibly can, and I'm not the world's greatest guy, but I try to make sure that I don't waste too much of my time. I mean, I, I, I'm, I don't have time to waste. So when I, when I do something, I, I plan it, and my plan is for a purpose. When we take a trip to Louisiana, I plan that trip. And I try to make it as short as possible. 
I fail miserably, but everything I, everything I do, I try to have a purpose in doing it. And everything that God does is purposeful. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes in verses 6 through 9, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling. Now look what he says. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. In other words, God didn't call you or I because we had some special works that we were going to do. He called us according to his own purpose. And his own grace. God planned to save me. And he did. And he did this with a purpose in mind. Now this is why you and I are here today. We are here to fulfill the purpose of God in our lives. Now some of these purposes will be the same for each of us. In other words, it's God's purpose that we all glorify his name. It's God's purpose that we all witness of Christ. It's God's purpose that we all fellowship with him. However, some of these purposes may vary according to our individual gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes in verses 4 through 6, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But all of these gifts that we are given, these individual gifts that God has given us, are for the self-same purpose. And what is that purpose? It is for equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. It is to empower the church to do the work that God has called us to do. Brother Gary can, can sing. Praise the Lord. You know Elvis Presley was a Sunday school choir director, wasn't he, Brother Gary? God gave him a gift. He gave him a gift to use for him. And what did Elvis Presley do with that gift? He became the king. He used that gift to further himself. He didn't use that gift to further God's work. And how many of us in here tonight are guilty of that same thing? God has given you a gift. He's given you a, an ability. He, he, he's given you a purpose. I told our teenagers in school, live life on purpose and for a purpose. Don't just float through life. Figure out what it is that you can do for the Lord and do it. And get busy doing it. Yes, you and I are called and given gifts by God unto His purpose. But then thirdly, I want us to notice about this call, that we are called for God's pleasure. We are called for God's pleasure. We're we're called according to God's plan. We're called unto God's purpose. And we're called for God's pleasure. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, Paul writes, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. It is God that hath called us. And this calling was unto God's purpose. 
And Paul tells us that God sets us in the body or within the church as it pleases him to do so. And this tells me that I should be content to serve where God has placed me. Listen, folks, be content to do whatever it is that God has given you to do. Don't covet another man's gifts. Don't covet another man's job in the church. There's some people that are jealous of, of, of their brothers and sisters. Some people are jealous because, well, he gets to do this and I don't get to do that. I think I could do it better than he does it. Well, maybe you can. And when you become God, you can choose who gets to do what. But it's God that has set us in the body according to his pleasure. And that tells me to be content. And also, by the way, it tells me to be content to do what God wants me to do. Not only be content to do what he's given me to do, but, but go ahead and be content to do it to begin with. The, some of, the, there may be some of you here tonight, you know what God wants you to do and you're not doing it. You refuse to do it. Listen, God has, God has called us for his pleasure. Remember the principle of God's word in Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. Jesus said, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Hey, you know what? Maybe the reason God hasn't given you a better job is because you're not doing the one he's given you to do to begin with. Get busy doing what he, what he told you to do, and maybe he'll give you something more to do. If the task God has given me to do is according to his good pleasure, then I should give that task everything that, that I have. My father always told me, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing right. My dad taught me that if, if your boss tells you sweep that floor, you sweep that floor the best that floor has ever been swept. Don't you leave a speck of dust on that floor. It doesn't matter what your boss tells you to do, give it everything you got. And that's the, that's the biblical principle too, by the way. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. If you're going to do something for the Lord, you better do it right now, because you may never get a chance to do it. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul states, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Be faithful and be content to serve in the place that you are. How many of you ever heard the old saying, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence? Yeah, but when you get over there, you find out it needs to be fertilized and mowed just like yours did. Things always look better to us, but seldom are they better. If, let me tell you, if you're not happy, and I've learned this from experience and I've seen it in others. If you're not content in, in the church God places you, doing the things he, he, he gave you to do, you're not going to be content anywhere else. It doesn't matter. You can change the church. You can change the pastor. It's going to be the same you. The only thing that's changed when you move churches is you. You've changed location. That's it. 
We're creatures of habit. We do the same things, regardless of where we are. So we're to fulfill our callings. Focus on your commitment tonight. Fulfill your calling. Then, number three, I want to say this. Finish with courage. Finish with courage. I love the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Paul writes, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. I love that phrase, quit you like men. I like that. You know what, guys? It's time we start being men again in America. Not panty waists. It's time we be men. Talked about it last week. Love your family. Provide for your family. But you know what? Get up and take control of your family. Take control of your kids. Man, we've got a generation of young people running around this country today I tell you, they don't respect anyone or anything. And you know whose fault that is? That's the dad's fault. My dad taught me how to respect people. My dad taught me how to respect my elders. How to say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. It's time that we start acting like men again. And, and, And that we start fulfilling our roles as men in America today. But that's not part of tonight's message. That's free and it's extra. So enjoy. But I want you to consider the great general Joab. Joab was a great, mighty man. I want to read to you the words of Joab in 2 Samuel chapter 10. Would you turn there with me? I want you to read them with me. Look, go to 2 Samuel chapter 10 with me. And we're going to begin at verse 9. 2 Samuel chapter 10. Now Joab, as I said, he was, he was David's general. He was a great man. He was a mighty warrior. And, and, and Joab was a man of courage. I begin reading at verse number 9. When Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose of all the choice men of Israel... And put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And he said, If the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. But now look at verse 12. Be of good courage, and let us play the men for our people, and for the cities of our God, and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. I love that verse. (laughs) I love verse 12. Praise the Lord tonight for our men at arms. Praise the Lord tonight for our soldiers who are in peril of death. They're playing the men for you and I. They're playing the men for our cities in America. They're standing watch over our liberties. They're standing watch over our freedoms. 
Praise the Lord for these men. But may I say that there is a battle raging in America tonight also. And just as Joab stated to his soldiers in verse 12, when he said, Be of good courage, and let us play the men for our people, and for the cities of our God, and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. Let us have courage tonight, and let us be men for our people, and for our Lord, and let the Lord do that which seemeth good to him to do. This was the attitude of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, by the way. When they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar and told him they would not bow down to his idol, whether he cast them into the furnace or not, they would not bow down. This is what we need tonight. We need that courage that that they had when they stood before the king and said, whether, whether you throw us in or not, whether God save us or not, whether God deliver us or not, we're not obeying you and we're not going to bow down to your idol. That's what we need tonight. We need to quit like men, not like cowards, not like children, like men. Consider Paul's words in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 5 through 7. He says, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. I'm a citizen of heaven. I have a mansion in the New Jerusalem. A mansion that was built by Jesus himself. He fit every piece of that mansion together. With love and compassion, he built my home. I'm a citizen of heaven. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's golden shores, and I just can't feel at home in this world anymore. I'm a young man, right, Mac? I'm a young man. But boy, I tell you, I'm looking, I'm looking for heaven. I can't wait. I can't wait to get on those golden streets. I figured I'm on a, I'm, I thought, I figure I'm probably going to spend the first thousand years just running and screaming and yelling. It, it'll probably take quite a while for me to calm down. Because if there's ever been a man deserved to burn in hell, it's me. I was a worthless person. Some people think I still am. But God dug me out of a horrible pit, set my feet upon a rock. He called me, brought me out of hell, and he gave me a purpose. And it's time for me to finish with courage. It's time for me to be as Paul was. And to be able to say as Paul did, first of all, let us stand and fight. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, he said, I have fought a good fight. Now, don't get me wrong here. God doesn't want us to walk around fighting with everybody we see. He doesn't want us to go around being a bunch of brawlers. He does not want us to go around picking fights. For in Romans chapter 12, he states in verses 17 through 18, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much lieth in you, 
live peaceably with all men. But the time will come when we will have to contend with those that would rob us of our doctrines and truth. In the book of Jude, verse 3, Jude writes, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And tonight we must be brave enough and we must be wise enough to face these battles and contend for truth. But let us remember to do so with the armament of God and not with the arm of flesh. For in Ephesians 6.13, we read, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So first tonight, let us stand and fight. Then we must remain, as Paul stated, faithful from start to finish. Paul said in verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Listen, anyone can start a race. But not everyone will finish that race, will they? Some will quit. That's a terrible word, isn't it? Quit. I don't know, it just sounds bad. It doesn't sound good. It's one of those words that when you hear it, you go, He did what? He quit. Huh? He quit. Have you ever, one, have you ever heard anyone say, oh, he quit? <laughs> it's a negative thought. Jesus spoke of counting the cost. In Luke 14, 28 and 30, he writes, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus says, you better, you better open your eyes and, and, and you better know what it's going to cost you. And you better, you better count the cost. There's an old adage that I really like. I really love this adage. It's going to come up on the screen. This is it. A man's character is not determined by what it takes to make him start. It is determined by what it takes to make him quit. Anybody can start, but it takes character to finish. Hey, you know what? Finish your marriage. You know what? Finish raising your children. Don't, don't, don't forsake them. Don't desert them. Hey, you know what? Finish your commitments to Christ. Face death the way Paul faced it. I have finished my course. In our own strength, we cannot run this race of the Christian life. This race can only be run in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what what does it take to finish a race? Well, it takes three things. First, it takes preparation. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 state, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. In other words, he, uh, the, when, you, when you train for races, you, you don't eat chocolate cake, you don't eat uh, pudding, right? You don't drink sodas, all those things. You, 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 you get off of those things. Uh, he says, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body, 
and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And to run this race of the Christian life, you must commit yourself to the preparation necessary to succeed. This is why Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It takes preparation to finish a race. But then secondly, it takes patience. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, the writer of Hebrews states, Wherefore, seeing we also are combassed about with so great a count of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hey, you know what? Marathons are not won in the first ten miles. They're won in the last ten miles. It's not the guy who breaks out in the lead right at the start that wins. Matter of fact, sometimes the guy who breaks out right at the start doesn't even finish. It's the guy who says, okay, we got 26 miles. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to run my race the way I know to run it. And in the end, I'll be there. Listen, Christians, be patient. Plan for the long haul. Wait on the Lord. Allow him to guide you down your race course. In Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11, we read, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Stop getting ahead of God. The battle is his, and he knows how to win the battle. In 1 Samuel 17, 47, David said to Goliath, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. It takes preparation. It takes patience. And then to win, it takes determination. In Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, we read, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. There's an old saying, aim at nothing and you'll hit it. The reason most Christians fail is because they don't determine to win. We're to stand and fight from start to finish. And we're to, thirdly, succeed by faith. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Despite all the suffering and the hardships that Paul went through, and he lists them all in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 through 28, and for time's sake, I'm I'm not going to read the list. You can read it later. I don't think I put it up there, did I? No. You can read it later. I I don't have time. Oh, well, you know what? Let's take time. Let's, Let's take a look at what Paul endured. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you want to turn there as I read, Verses 22 through 28, Paul states, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes. 
save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. I was in awe when Brother Moline made his presentation and said that Pastor Mwango oversees 72 churches. Wow. And most of them have schools, right? And orphanages. I was, I sat in the back and my mind, my mind began to overheat. I assist pastor in overseeing one church and one school. And I tell you, I, I'm in awe that that man can oversee 72 churches. He, he's, like, he's like Paul. He's like the Apostle Paul. And I guarantee you, Brother Gary can confirm, but I, 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 I already know. You don't oversee 72 churches without being a man of great faith. And if you and I are going to succeed, we're going to have to have faith. Paul didn't give up. He didn't quit. He stayed faithful to God. I wish I could boast the same tonight, but I can't. You know, in America, I suppose over the next few months or perhaps years, we're going to find out just how much faith we have, won't we? As we begin to lose our jobs, if this economy doesn't straighten out, we lose our jobs, we lose our homes, our futures are, 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 are shaken. We're going to find out just how much faith we have. I suppose we're going to find out. Now, I would like to think that I have the faith necessary to live for God in hard times such as that. I hope that I have the faith of Paul. To say that I can live content regardless of the conditions or circumstances that I face. But let me tell you something, folks. We're never going to succeed at that. Unless we, use, we, we put all these ingredients together that I talked about over the last two Wednesday nights. We have to focus on our commitments. We have to put all of our... All, we have to invest ourselves in, in God in our families, and in our church. For these are the things that God will bless. And, and we have to fulfill our callings. We have to glorify God for, for the great gift He's given us of eternal life. How frustrating it, it has to be when men run around this country and, and, and give credit to this or to this or to that for their eternal salvation when all the time... It's God and His magnificent glory that is worthy of our praise and honor. And we're going to have to finish with courage. We're going to have to find a way to become men and women of courage. 
And we're going to have to face adversity. I was sharing some thoughts with someone in the lobby this afternoon, and I said, you know, the will of God doesn't always take us through the rose garden, does it? Go talk to the martyrs when you get to heaven. Uh, God's will didn't exactly take them to a pleasant place as they were burned alive at the stake. Uh, go talk to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God's will took them into, they, they actually went into the furnace. And they came out unscathed, but they had to go in. What about Daniel? Daniel actually was cast into the den of lions. So, so folks, remember this. Sometimes God's will is going to take us to places we may not want to go. But we have to have courage. We have to know that God's will is God's will and that God's grace is sufficient for us. The Lord may call on one of us or some of us to lay down our lives for the gospel's sake. If that be the Lord's will, then let's have the courage. Let's have the courage to face whatever it is that God sends our way. Knowing and having the confidence to know that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That he is there all the time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Father, we're so unworthy. We're so unworthy of your love. We're so unworthy of your grace. And Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen us, that you would help each one of us, Lord, to have the courage to live for you. That we would have the courage to walk the road that you have laid in front of us. And Father, it's not us. It's nothing we do. It's the, it's the blessings of you and it's the Holy Spirit's power. But help us to be vessels of honor, simply lights or tools that you will use. And we'll give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. Thank you, Father, for our church. Help us to love it and to labor in it. And help us, Lord, to have spiritual strength as we raise our children and as we live our lives on on this earth. Help us to do so to your glory and honor. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.